Last week I mentioned that I planned to spend three weeks covering the final verses of Paul's letter to the Colossians. These, as I said last week, are the kind of verses that, that frequently we just skim over when we come to them in our Bible reading. They, they deal with people we don't know, places that we've never been, things that don't really affect us in our lives. Paul, by the time we got to verse 7 of chapter 4, had finished dealing with all the issues that he had to address there in the city of Corinth. He had finished dealing with the, the issues that those believers faced, and they were issues that we can learn much from. He had explained that the solution to their issues were to fixate on Christ, to, to look at the transforming work of Christ and to experience that transforming work as, as they fix their gaze upon him. Well, obviously, we learn from all of that. But now when we get to the final verses of the letter, Paul closes off doing what he does so often in his letters. He spends the time sending various greetings to, to people that, that we don't know. Last week, we, we looked at the greetings that Paul sent to various people. And as we looked at those, we learned from his example that we need to value co-laborers. And we learned about several things that should help us to work more effectively with others for the cause of Christ. Well, this morning we're, we're switching in our verses from people to places. More specifically, churches that exist in places. Again, these are places that, that aren't part of our lives, but we can learn from Paul's example. The, the lesson that, that we learned this morning as we look at these churches is that we must join in the work that God is doing beyond our own church. We must join the work that God is doing beyond our own church. Of course, we, we rejoice that God's doing work in our church. In fact, if, if you come back tonight, we will hear more, or you will hear more about what God is doing in our church. So I encourage you to come back tonight for, for time to rejoice in what God is doing in our church. But, but we should be excited beyond what he's doing here. Yes, we should be excited by what God's doing here. But we should be excited as we hear about things going on beyond our, our church. He's doing much work that goes beyond this building, this group of people. He's working throughout the world. And we need to join that work. We must join what God is doing, the work he's doing that happens beyond our own church. We're looking at three verses this morning, and as we look at those, we can learn one point, or we'll at least try to learn one point from each of these three verses. You can follow along as I read the verses. We're picking up in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 4, or verse 15, rather, 15. Greek, greet the, the brethren who are at Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. We must join the work that God is doing beyond our own church. The, the point that we can learn from verse 15 as we jump right into that, the, the first point we can learn is that, that we should build relationships with other churches. We should build relationships. One of the main principles of, of the church is the relationship between what we call the universal church and the local church. 
We, we were discussing this last week in our book club on Tuesday night for those that were in the book club, the universal church and the local church. I, I was discussing the same idea in Sunday school hour with one person here in the church. Universal and local, those, those are terms that we use to, to differentiate the, the various ways that the word church is used in the New Testament. At times, the, the word church clearly refers to all the believers in Jesus Christ. Most of the time, however, the, the, that word church, when we find it, it refers to a particular group of believers. For example, the, the group of believers in Colossae, who Paul wrote this letter to, the church in Colossae. Well, to help us distinguish the, the different ways the word church is used, we, we refer to the ideas of, of all the believers in Jesus Christ, re, regardless of where they are, or even when they are, for that matter, we refer to this group as the universal church. It refers to the entire body of Christ. The, the first people were added to the universal church on the day of Pentecost. The last people will join the universal church right on the, I would assume, on the day of the rapture, right before Christ returns. Somewhere, but we know it will complete when Christ returns, rapture the church. At that point, the universal church will be complete. By contrast, the, the local church refers to a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time. People are added to the universal church the moment they accept Christ. People don't immediately join a local church when they accept Christ. But a local church refers to a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time. First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights, that is a local church. We exist at this time in history. We've been here for 55, 56, I've lost count of the years, but, but 300 years ago we were not here. 2,000 years ago we were not here. We exist in this place, in Sterling Heights. We don't exist over in Troy. We don't exist over in Germany or China or any other place. We exist here. Of course, ideally, the local church is composed of, of members who are in the universal church. In other words, the local church is filled with believers in Jesus Christ. That, that's why we often will speak of the local church as manifesting the, the universal church in a particular place at a particular time. It's a representation. We, we really can't touch and feel the universal church. I was talking about that in Sunday school hour. We can describe it, we can define it, but, but we can't touch and feel. I've never met Paul, even though I know Paul's a member of the universal church. I've read a lot of what he's written, but I've never met him. I can't touch and feel him. I can't touch and and feel believers in another part of the world that are part of the universal church. It, the universal church it spreads out over all the world and even extends into heaven because it spans centuries of time. However, we do interact with a very small part of the universal church through our connection in a local church. This is where we touch and feel the work of Christ. This is where we experience church life. The point is, Christ is doing his work at the universal level. We connect to his work at the local level. Yet our concern for Christ's glory, our concern should span the between the two. Yes, we should care about what Christ is doing here at the local level, but we should care beyond that to what he's doing throughout all of his work at the universal level. One of the main ways 
that, that we can span this gap is by building relationships with other churches, other local churches. In fact, it would be hard for us to, to fix our gaze on Christ if we don't work to span that gap. Think about it. Even in this letter, we've discussed several times one of the, the fundamental problems we have in life is our old sin tendency. That the sinful tendency that says everything is about me. That is our sin nature. We are the center of our universe, right? Christ is changing that, but it's still there. It still haunts us. We still want to think about things revolving around ourselves. We want to go seek after that which serves us most, that we enjoy the most, that, that seems exciting to us. If we're not careful, that tendency will start to show itself up in how we act towards what Christ is doing even in the church. The church becomes all about me. It will start to act like Christ is, what Christ is doing. It's all about us. We're the center of his work. That sinful tendency can bring itself into our Christian life if we're not careful. Yet when we build relationships with other churches, those relationships quickly remind us we are not the center of Christ's work. Not individually, not even locally. Christ is doing work all over this world through many, many churches that far exceed what he's doing with us. We're reminded that, that Christ is transforming others just in the same way he's transforming us. Other people are experiencing the same glorious saving work of Christ that we are experiencing. What we are experiencing in our church is repeated over and over and over again. And we remember, oh yeah, Christ's work is for his glory, not mine. Now notice verse 15. Paul specifically tells the church in Colossae to greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. Laodicea was mentioned last week in verse 13. It is, as I said then, a city about 10 miles away from Colossae, roughly. In fact, it's on the same Roman road that, uh, that reached Colossae. So there would certainly be a lot between these two cities, between Laodicea and Colossae. In, in, it was on the same low road, and Paul clearly expects that believers in each city would have a lot of contact with each other as, as there'd be travel back and forth. So he's anticipating that these churches will interact with one another. In, in fact, the impression that comes from his instruction is that he wants to foster a fellowship between them. Based on the geography, I mentioned there's this road, this Roman road, based on the geography, Tychicus, who you may remember last week, is the person who brought this letter to Colossae. Tychicus would have crossed through Laodicea on his way to Colossae. If Paul wanted to, to simply greet the church in Laodicea himself, he could have sent his greeting through Tychicus, and it would have been relayed already by the time Tychicus comes to Colossae. Paul is not saying here when he says, greet the church, he is not saying, greet the church there for me. He's not asking them to pass along his greeting. He's telling them, greet the believers in Laodicea yourself. He's telling the Colossian believers that they need to greet the believers in Laodicea. In other words, build relationship with them, fellowship with them, unite with them. 
By the way, I'm going to take a little tangent here, just a, a short one. But notice in 15, he also mentions Nympha in this verse. And, and from the way he puts things, most likely the church in Laodicea was, was meeting in her home. Now, I know if you have a King James Version with you this morning, it's Nymphus, a man's name, rather than Nympha, which is a woman's name. There, there's division in the, the early Greek manuscripts that, that represents both the, the male form, Nymphus, and, and the female form, Nympha. Nymphus, Nympha, and that's at the end. And it's fairly evenly divided between the, the manuscript representation between the two. Most scholars, though, lean to the feminine form because they, they assume over the centuries it would have been a lot more natural for a scribe to consider that it should have been masculine and add it the male form, think that the S got dropped, than it would be to explain why he would drop it and intentionally add a female form. It was scholars figure it's just more likely to have gone one way than the other. The, the reason I'm pointing out Nympha here is because this is just one of many examples that, that demonstrate how important women were to the early church. It's an importance that, that's been replicated over and over through the centuries. Women played a key role in the church. God, of course, has, has determined that women are not to be in leadership offices in the church. They, they are not to be the pastor or the deacon. But that doesn't mean that women are not vital servants to the church. Here's a woman who God had allowed to have great financial means, and she was using her means to serve the church by opening her large house so that the church could meet there. Talk about helping the cause of Christ, giving the church a place to meet. The church met in her house, and this woman's name has been retained in sacred scripture now for 2,000 years. That's quite an honor. Now, back to the main point of the verse. We are to build relationships with other churches. How can we do that? How can we build relationships? Of course, one way is partnering through other churches around projects that, that will further the work of the gospel. We, we partner with other churches with every missionary that we support. We, we don't support any of our missionaries fully ourselves. All of them are supported by multiple churches. And so our joint effort to support a missionary is a form of fellowship with other churches. Of course, I would say that's a rather distant fellowship in the sense that I don't think any of us can name all the churches that support probably any of our missionaries. Maybe Sam Hendrickson we might get close to because it's a smaller number and we're his sending church. At least Donna knows who sends, sends money in for Sam, but most of us have no idea what churches are supporting many of our missionaries. So while we are serving together, we're working together with other churches, that's a pretty distant relationship. Fortunately, with the ease of transportation, we can do more because we do need to do more. We need to have better fellowship than just that very distant relationship of missionary support. And with transportation, there are ways that we can do more. For example, we've conducted several activities with churches in our area. At various times, we've had Bible studies school together, vacation Bible school with other churches. We've had special events that we've done together. Several churches that are, are praying for our church on a regular basis. There, there are several churches I know that pray for area churches on a regular basis as part of their, their prayer during the service, and they just kind of rotate through. I know one pastor in the area that 
He will send me a, a text fairly often. Whenever our church comes up in the rotation, he'll send it early in the week asking, what can I specifically pray for regarding First Baptist Church this week as I pray for your church in our service? Well, clearly that's fostering relationship between churches. There are many things that, that we can do to connect our church with other churches. So let's notice what Paul writes. Greet the brethren in Laodicea. Paul doesn't write, greet the church in Laodicea. Greet the brethren. His instruction has a personal touch. The, the implication is that the individual believers in Colossae are to greet the individual believers in Laodicea. They are to seek fellowship when possible with the believers. In other words, this most likely implies that all of you should be seeking people in other churches that you are friends with, that you develop friendship with, that you develop a relationship with. It's not just as a church we formally interact with another church, it's as people, believers in Jesus Christ, we interact with people from other churches. Now, I'm not going I'm going to caution you, don't neglect your responsibilities to your own church in that regard. Sometimes we could take that probably too far and, and spend all of our time with other church people and, and we don't end up actually serving in our church. Our primary responsibility is through our own local church. But we need to look beyond our church and our relationships. We need to recognize that Christ's work is much larger than First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights. And when I would suggest that all of you need to know that as a personal experience, not just as an objective mental fact. And the way it becomes personal is when you know people. We do this by broadening our Christian fellowship with other churches. Remember our main idea today. We must join the work that God is doing beyond our own church. The point we learned from verse 15 here is that we should build relationships with other churches. Relationships. From verse 16, we can learn a second point. We should learn from other churches. We should learn from other churches. Verse 16 is a verse that has prompted a lot of speculation among students of Paul's life and travels. It is clear that the Colossians are to send the letter they've received, this one that we're studying, the, what we call the book of Colossians. They're to send it, or at least a copy of it, to the church in Laodicea so that the, the church there can read the, the letter themselves. That part is crystal clear. Laodicea should read aloud the letter when they gather for their services. After all, that's what reading meant back then. They didn't all have copies of the Bible like we have now when you read in the, the Bible to read the, the book, it means at the church, have it read aloud so people can hear it. They were to read the letter to the Colossians in the church in Laodicea. But it's also clear that Paul says he wrote a different letter to the church in Laodicea at some point in time. And the believers in Colossae should obtain that letter and read it aloud in, in their service. The thing is, we don't have that letter the letter Paul wrote to Laodicea. We don't have that letter, so, so we don't know for sure when that letter was written, and we don't know what issues it might have dealt with that Paul wanted the Colossians to hear about. And those unknowns have led to a lot of speculation over the centuries. For, for what's worth, 
my best guess is that Paul wrote the letter to Laodicea at the same time he wrote the letter to the Colossians, that Tychicus had it in his book bag as he was traveling uh, from Rome to Colossae to deliver the letter of Colossians and the letter of Philemon's and the letter he already dropped off at Ephesus. Uh, I think he had another one for Laodicea that he dropped off. Apparently, Paul wrote something to Laodiceans that was sufficiently different to what he wrote to the Colossians that, that Paul said it would be beneficial that the churches exchange copies of the letters and, and learn from both of them. That's my speculation. What I can say positively, without speculation, is that while Paul can, considered the information in the letter he wrote to the Laodiceans as beneficial to the Colossians, God never intended for it to have universal and abiding value for the church. I can say that positively because God has not preserved it. We don't have it. Now, I'm just going to mention that aside, I know many of you have study Bibles, and one of the things some scholars suggest and try to argue is that the letter to the Laodiceans is what we know as Ephesians. I'm not convinced at all by that. I, I'm clearly unconvinced that, that I think Laodicea is simply the letter Paul's mentioned here, Laodicea, it's a different letter. It's not Ephesians. It's simpler to just understand that God did not preserve this letter much as God did not preserve other letters we know Paul wrote. He wrote multiple letters beyond the two we have to Corinthians, for example. He mentions his other letters, but we don't have them. God did not preserve it because this letter to the Laodiceans did not have enduring benefit to the church of Jesus Christ for all ages. At the same time, God did preserve this verse for his church that tells us of this letter to the Laodicean church. That, that means there is something here for us. What we can see is that one church can benefit from the things that God taught to another church. Different churches have different experiences. Different churches face different issues at, at different times. One church may have to deal with something in a particular time earlier than another church does. And the second church then can learn from how the first church dealt with the situation. Churches can learn from each other. Frequently this happens through church leadership. Uh, I realized a, a couple years ago that I can really no longer call myself a novice pastor. You know, I still feel like a novice, but I guess I've been here 12 years plus, and, and I recognized I can't call myself a novice pastor when, when other newer pastors start calling me and asking for my input on situations they were dealing with in their church. Twice, uh, I experienced... The, the functioning as a pulpit committee here in, in our church. And, and same thing, when, when we had a pulpit committee, we always sought out the other pastors to seek advice on how to proceed. There's times I've sought other pastors for more season than myself for help. So yes, we can learn from other churches through the leadership. These are examples of, of our church, really learning from other churches, but we're doing it through the church leadership. At the same time, I think we all need to recognize there's great opportunities for all of us to learn from other churches all around us. God has gifted the church with pastors and teachers. According to, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, pastors and teachers are gifts he gives to the church. 
And some of these men are incredibly gifted. They, they further the work of Christ far beyond their own local church. There, there are conferences that any and all of us can attend that are occurring frequently through, throughout the year. They, they deal with numerous topics that, that will help all of us grow in our, our Christian faith and life. Through technology, we can listen to these conferences, and if that's not enough, we can listen to sermons 24-7 if we wanted to. Now, that would be the one time I'd give you an excuse to sleep through a sermon if you're trying to do it 24-7, because you do need sleep somewhere in there. Rest time, try not to. I know that a lot of you do listen to sermons online. Uh, you listen to them throughout the week. There, there's scarcely a, a week goes by when, when someone in the church doesn't send me a leak, link to a sermon that, that greatly encouraged them in, in some fashion. Now, I'm going to admit publicly here, I rarely listen to all these links that are sent to me, but I am very grateful to know that, that people in the church are learning from men that God has given to the church. The same can be said for books, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos. We are literally deluged through technology with teaching from other churches that, that can benefit all of us. Certainly, we need to exercise discernment when, when we do that. We need to avoid the, the many false teachers that are mixed in among them. Remember back through this letter we've been studying of Colossians. The big issue the church of Colossians faced is that many of the believers were falling for the false teachers. And the, and the false teachers bring false teaching, so they were being led astray by the false teaching. Well, all of these technological marvels that we have that, op that, that grant us the ability to listen to other gifted men also open up the door for false teachers if we're not careful. We can listen to many, many false teachings through these same avenues. So we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. Still, we can rejoice we can rejoice at the vast quantity of good, quality, biblical teaching available to us from other churches. We can learn from God what God has taught other churches about himself through his word. And all of us should avail ourselves to that. As the Lord allows us, we should make use of it. We must join the work that God is doing beyond our own church. We should learn from other churches. And that's our takeaway point from verse 16. As we look at the last verse this morning, verse 17, a third point that we can take away is that we should supportively encourage church leaders. We should supportively encourage church leaders. Say to Archippus, verse 17, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Archippus is mentioned here and Again, in Philemon, verse 2, those were the two times we find him mentioned. The, the way he's mentioned in Philemon, it it's, appears they may have been a member of Philemon's household. Philemon, you may recall, I explained last week, is the, the master of Onesimus, who was traveling with Tychicus back to Colossae, a runaway slave Onesimus. The, Colossi, the Colossian church, or at least one house gathering of the church, we don't really know the structure of the church at this stage, if they could all meet in one house or if they were in multiple, but at least one house gathering of the church of, Coloss of Colossae was meeting in Philemon's house. It just happened to be meeting there where Onesimus was returning. And Archippus is somehow tied into that household. Clearly, Archippus has some sort of ministry responsibility in the church. Paul doesn't tell us what it was, but clearly has a ministry 
that there in the church. Some speculate that maybe Archippus was, was called out in this manner at the end of the letter because he's the one that was filling Epaphras's role while Epaphras was visiting Paul in Rome. Remember, Epaphras was the church planter in Colossae and likely still the pastor of the church there. So he's gone. Somebody has to fill that role. Archippus maybe was that man. And, and that seems like a reasonable uh, assumption. It's a very good possibility. But again, we have to admit, we don't really know what his ministry was. What we do know is that the ministry Archippus had was significant. Obviously, it was some sort of a leadership position in the church. He had challenges, challenging duties, and, and he needed the encouragement of the entire church to, to carry these duties out properly and fully. Notice, Paul writes, Say to Archippus, Paul is not speaking directly to Archippus at this point. Paul doesn't write, I want to encourage Archippus. He could have easily put it that way. That'd be a great encouragement, right? The Apostle Paul, who you've never met, sends a note to your church that he wants to encourage you. Man, that'd feel good. But that's not what Paul writes. He says, he tells the church members, say to Archippus. He's instructing the entire church who will hear this letter read aloud, maybe by Archippus himself. We don't know who's reading it. I mean, that's a little speculation, but they're hearing the letter read. They're to take on the job of encouraging Archippus in his ministry. Paul is encouraging the people to encourage the minister. They are the ones to tell him to keep at it, keep going. Not only are they to tell him to keep at it, they are to remind him that he needs to keep at it because the ministry has come from the Lord. There are a couple of subtle things that are going on here if we think about it. We don't know what his ministry was, but it was within the church of Colossae. It was within this church that's reading the letter with all the problems that we've seen in this letter. Often discouragement for ministers come from within the church. It's hard for a minister to remain encouraged when they see the very people they're ministering walking away after false teaching, walking away from the very things they're teaching them to follow in doing something else instead. By telling the people to encourage Archippus, Paul is strengthening the relationship between Archippus and the general church members. It's a lot harder to walk away from someone you're actively encouraging than someone you're holding at arm's length. If you're spending a bunch of time telling this person to keep at it, how can you walk away from that person? Secondly, it's doubly true that discouragement can come from within when, when those that the minister is ministering to start actively working against the minister. You know those underground campaigns that start, the whisper wars that start getting waged within churches? That's really discouraging to a minister. Which brings us to the second thing to observe in the subtlety of what Paul writes. He reminds the people to remind Archippus that his ministry is received from the Lord, or received in the Lord. How could one of the church members work against supporting Archippus when he's reminding Archippus that he's doing the work that the Lord has given him to do? Can, can you really spend time complaining about Archippus? 
when he notes that God is the one who placed Archippus in this position. Obviously, hindering Archippus then is also hindering the Lord's work, isn't it? If, if, Archippus put the, or if God put the Archippus in this position and, and you start hindering what Archippus is doing, aren't you trying to hinder what God is doing? What church member wants to be in that position? What believer wants to consciously, note, I say consciously because we all hinder the Lord's work through, through our sinful actions. That's just the facts of, of reality. We, we do hinder his work. But I hope none of us consciously want to do that. I hope none of us consciously say, I know what I'm about to do is hindering God's work, but I'm going to do it anyway. Shame on us. May we fall on our face repenting if that's our attitude. What believer wants to constantly hinder the Lord's work? I would certainly expect the answer is no one. Instead, a believer's goal is to further the Lord's work. We have that desire because, as we've talked many times in this letter, the Spirit plants that desire in us. We want the Lord's work to go forward. Well, Paul manages to connect the desire to have the Lord's work go forward to encouraging the Lord's worker in this verse. So how does this verse apply to us? Well, certainly there are direct applications to all of you. As members of, of this church, you should strive to encourage the various ministers of this church, those who have leadership responsibility. That's a direct application. I'm happy to say that you all generally do that, at least in my case. I, I know I certainly receive much encouragement on a regular basis, and I believe that's true for the other leaders in our church as well. I don't think there's a great problem of you failing to encourage those who are ministering in our church. I will say if the Lord places something on your heart on how you can do more, go for it. But, but I don't think we have a direct problem applying this concept here locally. Still, there's an extension of this verse that we should think of that goes beyond our local church. Paul was not a member of the church in, in Colossae. Remember, he had never even visited this church. He certainly wasn't a member there. Yet Paul is encouraging the church members in Colossae to encourage their minister, Archippus. Sure, Paul was an apostle. He carried apostolic authority. That makes him a little bit different than us. But we have his authority when we're representing his words. When we're representing the words of God, we have the same authority because this is God's word. We can say this is what God says. You either take it or you're resisting God. It's, it's that simple. Now, remember the first point from verse 15. We're to build relationships with people in other churches. Assuming that we do that, it would seem that part of what we should do through those relationships is encourage our friends in other churches to encourage their church leaders. I know from personal experience that the personal beefs that people have with the leaders in their own church find easy expression when they're meeting with people who they consider outside the church. You know, outsiders. I won't complain to somebody who's part of the church, but my friend who's in another church... It's very easy to complain to that person. There's a ready ear because they're not really directly affected. Well, rather than simply serving as a sympathetic ear, 
we should serve as the spiritually guided voices speaking with the authority of the apostle to various points of instruction in Scripture. Unless there is biblical issue, that's a different story. If there's truly a biblical issue where the the issue is one of sin, then we need to instruct how the apostolic authority of Scripture tells us to deal with those sin issues in leadership. But unless it's that, our friend could serve Christ better by encouraging their leader in the ministry that he's received from the Lord than complaining about their leader. And we need to point that out. We need to point them back to that. But by redirecting their energies we can supportively serve the leaders in other churches. That especially comes true when people start talking to you. You know, I'm thinking about leaving my church because I don't like this or I don't like that. Church is not a social club. It's a covenant commitment. So we need to point that out to our friends and encourage them to support their ministry by supporting their leaders. We must serve the leaders of God's church. And we do that by encouraging through those we know, the church leaders. Remember, we must join the work of God, that God is doing all this work that he's doing. We must join that work that goes beyond our church. We should supportively encourage church leaders. That's number three. Our main idea, we must join the work that God is doing beyond our own church. God's work joyfully and thankfully and gloriously is not limited to what he's doing here and through us. God is working broadly throughout this world. We are not an island in the work of God, nor are we the center of his plan. We are not off by ourselves. We are part of something that's so much larger And that's what we've been reminded of this morning. We should join our efforts with the work that God's doing that is greater than us. This morning we've seen three ways that we can join that work through relationships with other churches. One, we should build relationships with those other churches. Two, we should learn from what God is doing in other churches. And three, we should supportively encourage church leaders through our relationships with other churches. We must join the work that God is doing through our church. As we conclude, I ask you to examine yourself. Are you doing that? Are you joining the work that God is doing through other churches, through relationships, through what you can learn, through the encouragement you can give the people in other churches? Are you joining the work that God is doing beyond our church? God's called you to do so. Let's pray. Father, again, we rejoice in the glorious work of Christ. Our desire is that he would be magnified, that he would be magnified both within our church, but much broader throughout this world, that he is the name above all names, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who is high and lifted up. Father, may we do our part to lift up his name in this world. Father, you've given us responsibilities that go beyond the the walls in the relationships that we have with people in this church that go beyond that because we can be used in greater ways. Help us, Father, to do our part. May we be men and women who are faithful, joyfully magnifying Christ. Amen.